0: the bedside, all right, where the angels would come and turn the waters, and this guy couldn't get in because nobody was there to help him. That's what grace does for you. Grace removes every impediment that keeps you from pressing into the presence of God. And so God, knowing that somebody needs a touch from him today, creates, the water and creates an environment. So I don't know if that is you this morning, but if you need something from God, I want us to stand to our feet now. I want us to stand to our feet. I want us to stand to our feet. I want us to stand to our feet. Now let's begin to storm the gates of heaven. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, mighty and majestic God, you alone are God most high. Before you there is none, besides you there is none. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the one that spoke in the beginning into nothingness and out of nothingness you created everything that is. Things that eyes can see and things that eyes cannot see. With you, absolutely nothing is impossible. Your times and seasons are in your hands, mighty God. You move when you desire to move. You will act when you want to act. And whenever you act, it's on behalf of your children. You desire to bless your children. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to move through this congregation now. Move in this congregation now, my Father. Father, begin to touch every heart. Begin to lift every burden. Begin to take every care in the name of Jesus Christ. Every spirit of infirmity, by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, we command you now, let the people of God go. Every heavy heart, every heavy heart, by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you are lifting every spirit. And for every every person that is mourning, every person that is grieving, Father, I thank you by your spirit. You're wiping every tear now. And for every heart that is expecting something, expecting something for you, you know what it is, my Father. Touch them now, O God. Make provision as your name is, O God Almighty, the one that provides. Father, I thank you. Father, we receive your touch now. We receive your blessings, Father. We receive the answers now. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Okay, so when, when we live here, we need to act like we got something, okay? Because I don't believe in empty prayer. Prayer quickens and energizes your faith. So that thing you couldn't do, begin to do it. That thing you couldn't believe for, begin to reach out for it. That door that was close to you, go in and kick it down because you have prayed. Amen? Amen. Now, I, I'm speaking figuratively. I don't want you to go around town kicking down doors, okay? If the police comes after you, don't say your pastor too. Okay. Amen. Before I start, I also wanted to add my own uh, congratulations to you, Pastor. Uh, I know, Pastor, most of you saw him. He was looking rather uncomfortable and unhappy, right? Pastor doesn't like the spotlight on him. But it's important it's the Bible says we need to give honor to whom honor is due. I came to this church several years ago rough on the edges and uh, lacking knowledge in so many things. I had been a believer for a while. And um, by, I, I, I will say it's divine, a divine act, our paths crossed well before I came to church, where I started coming to World Outreach Church. And uh, eventually when God orchestrated things and we came, I, I don't know if you remember any of that, when the uh, group came from Nigeria, they were looking for a place to host a meeting, right? We came to uh, church. And then subsequently, I left the church I was in at the time, Christ Chapel, Christ Fellowship. And uh, we prayed about a place to go, and God ultimately brought us here. And from, I, I used to be very active in, in, in church, working in children's ministry and everything. But I don't know, God, I guess, must have put something in your, in, your, in, his, in your heart for me. Because pastor saw me, identified me, and then took me up under his wings. The first mission trip I ever took, I took with Pastor. And uh, that marked the turning point in my life. And so I want to thank you and acknowledge you and Pastor Sharon for what you have done and what you have deposited. Not just in my life, but in the life of everyone here. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the entrance of your word will bring light. It will bring understanding. Thank you for the grace that makes preaching easy. Is available here. Your people will hear, and not just hear, they will receive. Not just receive, but they will respond to that which your spirit says this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I wanted to um, kind of pick up from where I left off. The last time I was uh, standing in front of us, I told us my goal was two parts. My goal was, first of all, to sensitize us to our role and purpose in the work of reconciliation. And then the second part was to enlighten and prepare us for the ministry of an impartation and activation of the Holy Spirit for the work of reconciliation. Now, I covered the first part in my last uh, message. I intend to address the second part today. But before I do that, I wanted to do a quick synopsis of what we talked about so that those of you that weren't there kind of can catch up, but I won't spend too much time on it. Okay. So, we, we asked the question the last time around, and uh, people were singing songs in church that they shouldn't have been singing in church, but, <laughs> but we asked the question that was based on the words of a song, now that we have found grace, what are we going to do with it? And so, we began to delve and to develop that subject a little bit more, and we came to certain understandings, and one of them was this, the first one was this. We came to the understanding that we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. We are called to sow God's grace wherever we are. Otherwise, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says it is in fact possible that we might receive the grace of God in vain. Because the grace of God wasn't given to us so that we will feel comfortable, that we will get the grace, can the grace, and sit on the can. The grace, in fact, was given to us so that somebody's life Somebody in our circle of influence, somebody that hasn't received that grace, somebody that doesn't know him, will come to the same understanding and receive the same blessings of grace that we have. So we came to that uh, conclusion, that we have received grace. The Bible tells us that the primary preoccupation of God is the reconciliation of his creation back to himself. In fact, it's so important to him that God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and up, he said that God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world unto himself, not wishing that any should perish, and had in fact now committed to us the message of reconciliation. And so each one of us are ministers of the reconciliation of God. God desires to reap a harvest. God has finished the work and passed the baton unto us, and is not sitting idly by. He's co-laboring with us in the ministry to which he has called us. Amen? God desires to reap a harvest of souls in the nations. And when we sow grace, we reap souls. When you sow corn, you reap corn. When you sow potatoes, you reap potatoes. When you sow oranges, you reap oranges. When you sow grace, you reap souls. And so God has called us as farmers in his vineyard to be planters and, and sowers of his grace Wherever your farmyard may be, your farmyard may be in your workplace. It may be in your family. It may be in your home. But whatever that place is, God wants you to begin to see that as a farmyard, as a farm place. And what does he expect you to cultivate in that place? He expects you to sow the seeds of grace. He expects you to sow grace. Because when you sow grace in that environment, God adds his ability. He adds, because God is not disinterested in this ministry. When you sow the grace of God, God will work with you to reap his harvest of souls in that environment. Amen? We also uh, came to the understanding that the calling, this calling, this ministry of reconciliation is not a passive calling. It is an active calling. To use a sports metaphor, the ministry of reconciliation is not a spectator sport. We can't stand on the sidelines and say, oh, look at what that person is doing. Look at what brother this, what brother uh, sister that is doing. Each one of us is called to go from the the sidelines into the field of play because God expects each one of us to be active participants in the game of reconciliation, in the ministry of reconciliation. There is no time to sit on the sidelines and watch people go to hell. When God has sowed the seed of grace in your life, And he's asking you to reproduce that seed in every other life. There's something that Genesis 1 tells us. The Genesis 1 says that every tree, every seed will reproduce after its own kind. I want to suggest to you, if there's chaos in your family, if there's chaos in your workplace, if there's chaos in your neighborhood, watch what is being sown in that neighborhood. Because every seed that is sown will reproduce after its own kind. If you want a different outcome, begin to sow a different seed wherever God has placed you. Instead of complaining about the darkness where you are, why don't you light a candle? Instead of chastising that brother or or being critical or gossiping about that brother or sister that hasn't done what is right in your own eyes, why don't you invite them to lunch? Maybe they're looking for a friend. And maybe this is their cry for help. So rather than talk with the rest of the folks, why don't you bring them in and say, "My, my sister, can I go to lunch with you? Can I buy you lunch? People are open to acts of kindness. Amen? Amen. So it is not a spectator sport. It's an active participant sport. Everyone that has received the grace of God is expected. No, let me change that. Everyone that has received the grace of God is required to get in the game and become an active minister of that grace. And then we, we will get to the reasons why we don't participate, why we don't play. Okay, we will get to that for, uh, later in the message. But let's be sure that every excuse and every reason that we have for not being active players, God has already dealt with. Amen? Number three, we agree that uh, the ministry of reconciliation is not for a select few, it is not just for some of us, it's not just for maybe Pastor Bank or Pastor Sharon, or maybe even Pastor Sheena, or even Billy Graham, or whoever your favorite minister is. The ministry of, uh, 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 of uh, reconciliation is not, a sele- it's not for a select few. Every one of us has been called to be our brother's keepers, whether you know it or not. By, by the mere fact that God has planted, it, planted you in whatever community you are, a burden is imposed upon you as a recipient of God's grace to be active and participating in that community. Whether you dwell in a community of doctors and you have the grace of God, God expects you to exercise that grace within the community of doctors. If you're within a community of pontificators like Professor um, Andrews and myself, God expects us to pontificate grace in our community. Whatever your setting is, Whether you're a student in high school, or whether you're a student in grade school, see, God has given each one of us the measure of grace that is appropriate for the place in which he has placed us. And if you exercise that measure of grace that he has given you, God is going to take that little and multiply it and so increase it that at the end of the day, you ask yourself, who did this? Did I do that? but we have to be working actively the measure of grace that God has given us. So it's not for a select few. The ministry of reconciliation is for today, not for tomorrow or some other time. It is not something we get to when we have checked up all of the other critical and important things on our life's priorities because this thing is God's priority. And if we're children of God, God's priority ought to be our priority. The things that are of first interest to him ought to be of first interest. The Bible tells us that if we will pursue and seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, then all other things will be added unto us. So uh, I'm going to use again another analogy. I like pounded yam. I'm a Nigerian of Igbo descent. And in Igbo land, we eat yams. In fact, you measure your wealth by the size of your uh, your, uh, barn, your yam barns. And so in the olden days... The people that had the greatest uh, yam barns had the greatest number of wives. <laughs> and by extension, they had the greatest number of goats. As a matter of fact, there are certain titles in Igbo land that are given based on the size of your, uh, the, your, your, your barns, okay? And so God is calling us as a priority to make his things priorities. The reason I was telling you that story is that usually when we eat yams in my place, there are several different ways of eating yams. But there's a particular one that delights me. You roast the yam over open fire, and then you eat it with oil. Yeah, oil. <laughs> you eat it with oil. Now, Think about it, if you you wanted to eat yam, right? If you were looking for yam, you wouldn't go looking for oil, right? Because you know once you find the yam, the oil will follow, right? And so, I I know it it sounds a bit of a joke, but I'm telling you this, sometimes the things that we're looking for should be looking for us. But because we're turning away from where our blessings are coming, the blessings are chasing us, but we're running from them. But if we will make a conscious decision to turn towards God, as you're walking closer to God, the blessings of God are... So that the things that you're chasing will start chasing you. If we will just get it right and reorder our priorities, that the things that we're critical, if we don't do it, this will happen or that will happen. I'm telling you, 90% of the things we worry about don't come to pass. Of the 10% that does come to pass, they don't play out like we imagined. And so most of us die... Before death knocks on our door. Because we're paying today's, uh, tomorrow's debt today. I'm telling you, if you will reorder your life's priorities and say, what are the things that are important to God? I want them to be important in my life. What does God require of me? That's what I want to do. If you make that quality decision, I'm telling you, the things that you fret and worry and are anxious about will become as nothing. The the song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to Jesus and turn away. Like Sister Henrietta was was saying this morning, that sometimes we make our problems God. Because the things you begin to magnify and you look upon become God in your life. When you magnify the problem beyond the God that can solve the problem, the problem has become God in your life. When you magnify your job, your relationships, and all of the other things we fret about above the purposes and the will of God in your life, those things become God's in your life. I'm telling you, some of our brothers here, your wives have become God's and idols in your life. Some of our sisters here, your husbands have become God's and idols in your life. Some of us here, our jobs have become God's and idols in our lives, and God will not contend with the idols in our lives. And I understand grace. But there's a certain grace that comes from when my children, I give them counsel and I give them counsel and I give them counsel and they refuse to yield to counsel. Sometimes they go and reap the reward of their disobedience. And they, my, my daughter said something that was very profound to me. Because when she was in high school, I used to tell her, be diligent about your study. Be diligent about school. Be diligent about that. She says, now. And, and she... And sometimes she would ask me for money. I said, I have no money. But now she's working. She said, now she ca- I can understand how somebody can be broke after payday. <laughs> she tells me now that she wished she had paid attention when she was in high school because a lot of scholarships, that would reduce the uh, school load and debt and burden that she's carrying now, she wouldn't be carrying them. Because the people and your mates and your colleagues, where my high schoolers and my college students, your mates that are going on a full ride, they don't have two heads. They weren't born naturally smarter than you. Okay? God is no respecter of persons. If you apply yourself diligently, look to God, he will make the same way for you that he made for them. There is nothing that is inferior or absolutely superior about anyone. Any, pers- any place that can get to you can get there. You understand what I'm saying to you? Amen? Yeah. Okay, I think I'm spending too much time on this. had <laughs> <How did> in my... <laughs> and finally, it's always been God's plan that each one of us will be co-laborers with him in the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, each and every one of us is called to co-labor with God. And it has pleased God that it is by the preaching of the word that people come to salvation. Yes, it it is by grace that we're all saved. But it is by the work of preaching that men are introduced to the saving grace of God. There is no alternative plan to that. So you and I must be actively engaged in the work of bringing salvation to people. So God, for these reasons, has not left it up to chance or to human our uh, ability, but has actively, proactively provided for our success, if we will step up to, to be counted. And that brings me basically to what I want to talk about today, the role of the Holy Spirit as the agent of reconciliation. There are two institutions, human institutions, in which God is not neutral. Not, they're not human institutions, but they're institutions that are operated and run by men, in which God is not neutral. The first institution is the institution of marriage. The second is what we're talking about, the ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because in the institution of marriage, God is providing a a stereotype, is providing a model for the relationship between the divine and the human. God is showing us the relationship, the interaction of the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Because men ought to look at a Christian marriage and see how the relationship of Christ to the church is. And so in that regard, because God has a vested interest in it, God has a stake, a valid stake in that relationship. The second one is this ministry of of, of reconciliation. God is so interested in reconciliation that he has not left it to chance, but has proactively provided for it. That is why he gave us his Holy Spirit. In Acts 1 verse 8, the Bible tells us this. It says you will receive power, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What is that powerful? He goes on to tell us. He said, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. If the Holy Spirit is somewhat dormant in your life, maybe you're not putting him to work. Because the Holy Spirit was not given to us to make us feel comfortable in church. The Holy Spirit was given to us to make us absolutely empower us for the ministry to which God has called us. Here's the interesting thing. When God called Adam and gave him a job, God gave him a helper. When God called Moses, Moses was the person that was supposed to lead the children of uh, Israel out of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt into the promised land. Much like the ministry that we have been called today because there are children that are living in the spiritual Egypt. They're living in darkness. They're living in bondage. And God has raised up Moseses. Every person that is sitting in this room under the sound of my voice is like a Moses. God has raised you up. Why? So that you can go lead those people out of darkness. And everyone that God has raised, God has given a helper. So Moses had Aaron. God has given us in these days for the ministry to which he has called us the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God has not left it to happen, happenstance. And God moves in times and seasons, okay? Here's why that's important. If you don't understand the season in which God is moving, you will not prepare and position yourself effectively for that ministry. As I read the Bible, and again, you may disagree with this, I find three critical seasons in which God moves. So there's the first season, the season of the Father. The season of the Father is the season that began at creation. And all of the Bible stories and all of the activities were focused and centered around the person of God the Father. Yes, there were things that were called Christophanies. A Christophany is a manifestation of Christ, of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. So you see the fourth man in the fire with the children of Israel. They say he was like the son of God. You see the angel that uh, Jacob wrestled with. So those are all Christophanies. They are manifestations of Christ in the Old Testament. But you also see the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament will come upon a person for a season. But when that season is over, the Holy Spirit will be lifted. So that was the first dispensation. Even though you had those Christophanies, the essential story, the theme of, of, of biblical activity, was centered around the person of God. Now that season ended when the temple worship ended with the advent of Christ. Christ came in and ushered the season of the sun. And we see that all of the Gospels tell the story of the season of the sun. Where everything, the essential story, the Bible theme around that time is centered around the person of Jesus. Now that ended with the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus then left, what did he send? The Holy Spirit, he told us in John 14, that you shouldn't be worried that I'm leaving. Because if I don't leave, the Spirit will not come. But you should be glad that I'm living because when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate that the Father will send will come. Now he won't just walk around with you. He will be in you. He will dwell in you. He will take from what is mine and give to you. He will empower you to live the kind of life I've called you. So it is important for you. It is good for you that I live. Because when I live, the Holy Spirit will come. And so the Holy Spirit was ushered in with Pentecost. Now, we are living today in the season of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't understand that, you might not be positioned properly. You might might become like the uh, ten virgins, right? In the uh, Gospel of Matthew, the the parable of the ten virgins, they said five of them were not ready. They did not have oil in their lamp. It's It's interesting that when the Bible talks about what they were lacking, What were they lacking? Oil. What what is oil synonymous of in the scripture? The Holy Spirit. So these people needed a filling of the Holy Spirit, but they were not prepared. They did not discern their season. And so when the bridegroom came, they were not ready. Amen? And so... We we come then to the advent of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible because in the book of Acts, it it, it fascinates me. It tells the story of how ordinary simple people in ordinary simple circumstances accomplished extraordinary things. It documents how natural everyday people, fishermen, artisans, laborers, businessmen and women, single men and women, couples, mothers and fathers, became supernatural people that accomplished supernatural things. In Acts 4.13, the Bible says this. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So the book of Acts chronicles what ordinary men and women can do when filled with the extraordinary power and the presence of God. I I, I kind of uh, started my story by telling you the experience I had with uh, Pastor. My first missions uh, trip, teaching trip with Pastor, was a trip we took to Dakar, Senegal. I don't know if you remember that. That was the first time I'd ever been on a teaching assignment. It was in Dakar, Senegal. And the meetings were going very, very well. I mean, uh, again, I'd never seen Pastor in that element. Most of my exposure to him was in this element. But as the ministry continued, again, I had no very little experience in missions at that time. The Holy Spirit began to minister something to, to me. He said, tell pastor, tell pastor this, tell pastor. I thought it was my own mind. Because at this meeting were people that had come from all regions of West Africa. Some of them came from Madagascar. I didn't know this at the time. Until... Further on in the meeting, I couldn't resist this. After the meeting, I went to pastor. I told pastor that I think there the are people from Madagascar here. And I think they are going to invite you to come to Madagascar. Do you remember that, pastor? Yes. yes. Did I know the people from Madagascar? I didn't know them. But the Holy Spirit. And here's why that is impactful for me. Because it, decades later, I still remember that. Because that was the first time it occurred to me that this thing I'd been reading in the scriptures wasn't just mere fairy tales. It wasn't the story of something that happened to somebody somewhere. It was my story now because it had happened to me. Why? Because I stepped out in obedience to the calling of God. And I'm telling you, if you want to experience God in a dimension that you have not experienced it before, if you want the books of the Bible to begin to jump out at you, you need to begin to step out. Step out in uncomfortable places but step out in the obedience to God. Step out and do things that you have never done before. When God says do that, engage that person in the workplace that is not uh, a friendly person and see what God will do to lighten their heart. Go to that person that is sick and say, I don't know why I'm doing this, but God has asked me to lay hands upon you and I'll pray for you. See, your place is to obey. God's place is to deliver. And so... That experience, and so when I talk about these things, I'm not just talking about a story I've heard somewhere. It is the story of my experience with God. There, uh, Sister Ada, you were a part of this experience as well. We were going on a medical mission trip to uh, Zimbabwe, the last mission trip, and I, uh, we had gone out somewhere and we had eaten. You remember that? My stomach was completely upset. And so on the flight from, and this happened in London, and so on the flight from London, going into Johannesburg, because we're supposed to fly from Johannesburg, from London to Johannesburg, and then from Johannesburg to Harare, Zimbabwe. I, it was just a miserable time for me. I spent most of that flight in the bathroom. Fortunately, I purchased um, Imodium, but it wasn't helping. So on the first day of ministry, as we began to minister, I was sitting in the counselor's desk. That was my role, to do some of the counseling. I couldn't do the work that God had sent me there to do because I was worried about an accident. (laughs) Some of you get it. And at some point, a, a holy and a righteous anger rose up in me. I said, God, I didn't come here because I had nothing else to do. God, I didn't come here because I wanted to take a trip. i have been to Zimbabwe at least three, four times. And so if I just wanted to do sightseeing, there were better places to go to. There's no light there. There are mosquitoes and it's just not a nice place, period. If you have to be going to Zimbabwe, you're either from there or God is sending you there. Are you from Zimbabwe? Okay, sorry. Okay. So I hope we'll edit this before we put it out there, right? So I got angry. There was just a righteous anger in my spirit. I got back to my room. I put my hand on my stomach. I said, stomach, enough of this nonsense. Devil, enough of this nonsense. God sent me here on a mission and I'm going to do what God has called me to do. You will not derail me. You will not disturb me. You will not distract me. I said, God, your word said, we shall lay hands on the sick. Okay, we shall lay hands on the sick. These are my hands. I'm laying them on my sick body. By the morning, and I I, I kid you not, Sister again, you were a witness to these things. You were on that trip. By the morning, when we got to that place, I was like a new man. As a matter of fact, they were feeding us on the place, and I was very worried about eating. Because, again, you know why. (laughs) I was very worried about... But by that morning, I said, bring it on. I wanted to fill my stomach with food because I was hungry, I hadn't eaten. And from that moment on nothing, not one peep of my, until today you and I speak. Amen. 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 So, what did that tell me? That when God says, in my name, you shall, uh, you shall, uh, yeah, you shall touch the sick and make, it's not a story in the scripture, it's not just a story in the Bible, it is my life's testimony. The reason I'm telling you this is sometimes, uh, I think Pastor ba- Bakery says people like to prof lie, Okay. I'm calling Pastor because Pastor was there in this experience. I'm calling Sister Ada because Sister Ada was a part of that experience. These things were not happening in isolation. On that last uh, mission trip to Zimbabwe as well, God, you know, talk about God will give you a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. There was a woman that had come to the medical missions trip because basically what happens is that they'll come in, they'll go through triage, a nurse will see them and take all their vital signs, and write up a profile for them. Then they'll go and see the doctor. The doctor will then uh, see them and prescribe stuff for them. And then their prescription will go to the pharmacy. May I? Sorry. Their prescription will go to the pharmacy. But while they are waiting to fill the prescription, they come into counseling. And it is in counseling that we then begin to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Those that need prayer will pray for them. Those that need to encounter Jesus We'll bring them to an encounter with Jesus. So this one woman had come to uh, receive counseling. Uh, And she said, well, why are you here? I just have BP. I said, oh, just BP. She said, yeah, I'm okay. But the Holy Spirit said, no, something isn't right. So I began to prove. And something dropped in my spirit. Ask her about her children. I said, do you have any children? Well, she said, yeah, 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 yeah. I have a daughter and a son. I said, "Okay, where's your son?" He says he's in school. Where's your daughter?" He says, "Well, she's dead." And then you could see like cold water had been poured upon her. So I said, "What were the circumstances that led to her death?" She began to explain that apparently the young woman was in the final year of accounting in Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, when you got through 40, you're in 40, it's like you've hit the promised land." Right So this woman was on the cusp of graduating when, according to her, her husband, uh, conniving with her sister-in-law essentially took this girl out that's what she told me so she used to be a Catholic and she said she left the Catholic church and turned, joined one of those white garment churches in Zimbabwe and I said okay why did you do that she said because she believes that there's power in that white garment church and she wants to use that power to kill her sister-in-law It's funny, but this woman had been eaten up by bitterness. You could see that she was so bitter, life didn't make sense. She was consumed, her primary purpose, she said, after she kills this woman, that she's ready to die. And so God began to work with us. Eventually, she broke down and started to cry. When God began to speak into her life, she began to weep. She began to cry. And apparently, she mourned. In that one hour I had with her, for the daughter that she'd lost several years ago, she'd never brought herself to the place of mourning because she was so consumed with bitterness and anger. And so we put this woman through to the pastor to say, hey, follow up counseling with her. But what am I telling you? If, if, if you had told me that these things were possible outside of this context, because I'm a skeptic at heart, I'm an analyst at heart, show me where the eyes are, dot, and the T's cross, If you don't show me that, you have uh, a little bit of work to do. But God allowed me to see, not Brother Stephen's story, but my own story. That in fact, this story that God has given us, this ability that God has given us, is not given to a select special few. That everyone that hearkens to the voice of God, everyone that desires to obey God, that same power that God unleashed for Peter, for Paul, and for the disciples, God can unleash in your life. But you need to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. You need to be willing to step out in obedience to God. So what am I saying to us this morning? I'm saying to God, God has given us the Holy Spirit, not so that we can sit down and be comfortable in it. God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can do the things that we're uncomfortable doing with our unnatural strength. We need the Holy Spirit because we're trying to accomplish spiritual things. And enduring spiritual things cannot be accomplished with the arm of the flesh. The Bible tells us the arm of the flesh will fail. Only the spirit can do spiritual things. Amen? And most of us, and I said I would get to the reason why we don't engage. Most of us look at ourselves, we evaluate ourselves, we say, well, I fall short here, I fall short there. I'm not as uh, articulate as Pastor Bank. I don't look as good as Sister Bucci, or I don't sing as well as whoever it is. We find reasons to exclude ourselves, and you're in good company. In Genesis 22, God called Moses and gave him a task to be a deliverer, like he called you on earth. Guess what Moses said? Well, I'm a stammerer. God said, I know you're a stammerer, and I've made provision for your stammering. I'm going to give you Aaron. He's your spokesperson. Next Excuse. Well, Pharaoh is a powerful person. Put down your uh, your rod. He put down his rod, and the rod of Moses that he used to tend sheep became the rod of God that he used to split the Red Sea and bring water from the rock. So God has given you in your own ability. God has given you everything that you need to do with the work that He has called you. But when it comes, will He find obedience? Are we so focused on our abilities? We think it's our our race to run. We think it's our job to do. No, no, no. God, God says, open your mouth and I will feel it. When you lack what to speak, God is not asking you to speak uh, to speak, uh, to come up with the logic and all the things to say. God just says, open your mouth and I will fill it. In the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible says, when they bring you before authorities and before kings, take no thought beforehand what you should say or how you should answer them. For in the very same time that you need it, that the words will be given to you. If you will step up and step out, God will give you ability beyond your, beyond, look, the proper way, if you want real goosebumps, I'll tell you another story before I quit. So the first time I went to Zimbabwe, we were ministering. And we were ministering in a shanty town. It was called Epworth. And in Epworth was all kinds of uh, witchcraft, basically. People had their fetishes and things. So God helped us. We were with Pastor Jamal then. And several people were able to come to the Lord. And we challenged them. I said, if you really want to commit to God... You have to separate yourself from all the things that you hold on to for confidence. So we dared and challenged them and said, any of you that still has fetishes and idols, any of you that still has uh, amulets and trinkets that you use as, uh, you know those things they were, fetishes. Yeah. Am I uh, speaking to Africans here? Yeah? Yes. yes. <laughs> Ogu? In Igbo, we see Otomopo. All of those fetishes that people hang there. We said, if you truly make a commitment to Jesus, see what he'll do to you. The very next day, people were bringing their books. They were bringing their charms. They were bringing their amulets. They brought it out and in an open fire, bonfire. We burned the thing. And this thing was happening. I, I, I think they had some masquerade or something in the season. And this masquerade had a reputation for whatever it was. The masquerade emerged and came up to where we are turn, tail, and run in the other direction. I, I'm not making up a story. This is, this is my story. The things our eyes have seen, the ears, our ears have heard, the things our mouths have tasted, our hands have touched, that is what we proclaim to you. And there's nothing extraordinary or super about me. I'm a regular, normal, everyday person like you. I go to the bathroom the same way you do. When I'm hungry, my stomach groans. When I'm thirsty, I want water. I love bread, most like you. Like most of you, in fact, that maybe I eat too much bread. More bread than I should eat. And so there's nothing that's unique or special about me. The Bible says this. It says of Elijah, that Elijah was a man of similar passions like us. But this man of... Here's what that means. That when Elijah was a man of similar passions like we are, it means that he was in every way human. In fact, his own human was spelled with a capital H. But this... Simple, ordinary human. The Bible says he commanded and the heavens were locked up. One man commanded and the heavens were locked up. No rain, there was drought in the land. This one man again spoke and the heavens opened up. If Elijah, a man of similar passion, what sets him apart from you and I? We live in a better covenant, in a better dispensation in our time. If Elijah was able to do that, we should do exceedingly much more. Because Jesus said that we will do what he has done and even much more we will do. So we need to be, we need to come out of our comfort zones. We need to die to our self identity. We need to die to our own pride. Well, what would they say about me? They call me a Christian fanatic. They call me this. They call me that. Let them call you what they may. The most important name that they should call you is the child of God, period. Amen? Amen? My time is running out. So, basically, in closing here, I want to challenge us to understand the season that we're living in. And to walk in the Spirit of God. How do we do that? If we are to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we must recognize our limitations. We must have a deep and abiding hunger and desire for God. Everything we get from God comes from our hunger. The Bible says, Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever you desire, whatsoever, when you pray, we must learn to tarry. Jesus said to his disciples, Tarry in Jerusalem. What were they doing when they were tarrying? They were praying. They were immersing themselves in the Word of God. They were fasting. They were preparing themselves for the work that God had called them to do. We must learn to tarry, folks. We don't tarry these days. We live in a quick-fix, uh, micro-urban life. We must learn to tarry. We must be- learn. To- we must believe. It says, "Whatever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them." And believing is more than mental ascent. It is a heart felt, and deeply held conviction. Mental ascent happens when one tries to act as if they are in faith, when they are really still in hope. Hope comes before faith. Hope is not faith, but faith produces hope. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that now faith is the substance of things. And then beyond believing, you must take action. Step up and step out in faith. Amen? I want us to rise up in prayer. I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer. The Bible says in Matthew, I think no, I think it's Luke. It's Luke, chapter 11, verse 13. It says this: It says, "If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask." The Bible tells us, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door shall be opened unto you. I don't know, but your hunger this afternoon must be for the Holy Spirit. I want us to begin to pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to invade this atmosphere now. Let us begin to pray for a fresh unction of the Holy Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit of God will light us, a fire in us, that will take us out of our place of comfort and complacency. And like Peter us to step out of the boat into the water because it's in the water that you encounter Jesus. Father in the name of Jesus Christ, open your mouth, open your mouth, open your mouth, let's pray. Father in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, mighty God. I thank you, mighty God. I thank you, mighty God. Father, you desire to give your Holy Spirit unto all that ask of you. Father in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, let your Holy Spirit come. Let your Holy Spirit come, Father God, like a fresh wind, oh God, a fresh fire. Pour forth, Father God. Pour forth in this congregation now, my Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, stay your people, oh God. Stay your people again. Stay your people again. By your fire, oh God, by your fire, oh God, by your fire, oh God. Thank you, my Father. It is not your desire that we walk alone. Thank you for your spirit that you have given unto us. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Let me do one last thing before I sit. It is easy for me to preach a message like this and assume everybody gets it. Or that everybody relates to it. Everything that I've said now starts with a commitment and a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you're not walking with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you have not come to a place of a deep personal relationship with him. That's the first door that you need to walk through before you can get to this door that I'm talking about. And so if that is you, while everybody else is standing, I'd like you to sit down. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that is you, while folks are standing, I would like you to sit down. Hallelujah. 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 If that is you, I'd like you to sit down. Well, I thank the Lord. I don't see anybody sitting down. So I assume everybody here knows Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Father, 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 we thank you for that. Let your people then arise and go forth in answer to your calling. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah.